You're listening to Alternative Thinking, Both Sides of the Coin, a production of the Canadian Association of Alternative Strategies and Assets, where we explore today's markets and alternative investments from two distinct perspectives. In this episode, we have a noted Canadian pension plan that has evolved its business to include external money so that investors can take advantage of their experience and expertise as well as an asset manager that specializes in emerging market private lending and other EM fixed income such as sovereigns. You'll hear how they are adapting their offerings and internal capabilities to keep up with and make their mark on the international investment scene. James Braun is the president and co-founder of CASA. All opinions expressed during the show by James and our show guests remain their own and should be used for informational and educational purposes only. Find out more about CASA at casa.ca. Well, welcome, everyone. This is Alternative Thinking with CASA. Today is Tuesday, February 23rd, and I'm here with uh, Tarek Seri from TransCanada Capital and Marco Lukash with EMSO Asset Management. Uh, let's start with self-introductions. Uh, start with you, Tarek. But uh, what have you been doing at TransCanada Capital? I think you've done some some changes there. Yeah, thank you, James. Uh, first of all, it's good to be here. Uh, I'm uh, Tarek Syria. I'm responsible for the hedge fund and alternative investments at TCC. Uh, been with the firm for over nine years now. We've been super busy, as you can imagine, with uh, last year. Uh, maybe a quick intro about us. Um, we are the former Air Canada Pension in, in Investments. In 2019, we officially became Trans. Uh, Canada Capital, TCC, and we manage gross AUM of $30 billion investing in uh, traditional asset classes, alternative investments, and portable alpha strategies in both external and internal hedge funds. Well, maybe we'll start with the portfolio. Like, how much do you have of that $24 billion in alternatives, and uh, kind of how do you just structure your portable alpha? I imagine there's, there's some overlap in those two uh, topics. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, in terms of uh, the asset allocation, uh, we have uh, 25% in alternative investments, which is really a compromise of uh, private markets. So that's uh, private equity, private debt, infrastructure, uh, co-investments and real estate. And we have 10% in equities, over 75% in bonds and 15% in hedge funds and portable alpha strategies. Very cool. I imagine, are the bonds cash markets and then you're using futures for your, your equity exposures there? Yes, uh, the bonds are, are cash markets, but also we use futures as well. So uh, within the portable alpha, which is a very good thing that you ask, uh, we do it in both ways, right? In uh, holding the balance sheet, we have a lot of bonds as, as we talked about. So we don't want to hold them idle. We want to use them. So we do repos on, on these bonds mm. and that's how we get the, uh, the uh, portable alpha and port it over uh, other investments. On the hedge fund side, it's really coming from the equity side. So we do invest in uh, futures, swaps. Uh, we just try to to find what's the best way, efficient, least expensive way to capture equity exposure. And then and then we port the alpha from the hedge funds over the beta that we manage in-house. Very cool. And you mentioned in-house too, and you have internal external. So how do you how do you partition that between your your talent uh, like in, inside the fund and then then parceling it off to the outside managers? Yeah, sure. So in terms of the um, the uh, the team structure, uh, we have um, 
the internal team that manages three funds overall now with TCC. So we have a, our internal hedge fund, which is a multi-strategy systematic uh, hedge fund uh, around uh, managing $1.2 billion. And we have two fixed income Canadian portfolios. So that's really the internal investments uh, part of it. And then the external team where, you know, our team manages that. We have three funds there. We have the funds of hedge funds and we have the equity funds of funds and we have the alternative funds which is the uh, private markets funds very cool hey a lot going on there um and then i think with your multi-strat is that is that the one that you're also selling to other how does it work with other pension plans or or other investors yeah so the uh, so so all six funds are actually uh, you know uh, offered externally mm. um, just uh, maybe a, a quick note on history right because of uh, what happened with our uh, you know turning that pension deficit we have with Air Canada to a surplus we wanted to keep and maintain the team and retain the talent we have and also it's reverse mm-hmm. inquiries with other investors how we did it right so we thought we can build a business uh, with that and we uh, were able to successfully, uh, you know, convince Air Canada Board to launch, you know, TCC. So opening it up, uh, the funds, essentially Air Canada seeding all these six funds, right? Then opening it for third-party uh, investors overall. So that's how we were thinking about it. Oh, very cool. And is it, you're looking at local, like Montreal pensions or national or global, like what kind of interest are you guys getting? So we're looking at uh, Canada first, right? So staying close to home, uh, Montreal, uh, Quebec, Canada, and then slowly go to the U.S. We need the proper uh, registrations and the licenses, which takes time. Uh, and mm. the type of investors we're looking at for the three internally managed account uh, managed funds, it's really the across the board from large cap uh, investors to small cap investors, right? And the and the really the the externally managed funds, it's really a funds of funds business model. But we have a lot of co investment, mm-hmm. and there's some active management involved there just to show some differentiation uh, versus the others. Mm-hmm. So this is more targeted to the mid to small cap uh, investors to be extension of their teams. Oh, very cool. Well, on the idea of external managers, let's go over to uh, Marco. Let's hear about uh, your journey and with Emso and what you guys are up to as well. Great, thanks a lot. Um, so, my my name is Marco Lukesh. I am responsible for the private credit business at EMSO. EMSO EMSO Asset Management is a over twenty year old emerging markets only money manager. We have three business lines. The oldest and the biggest is the hedge fund. Then we have a emerging markets fixed income long only business and the private credit business that, that I'm responsible for. We're about seven or a little over $7 billion of assets under management. And once again, it's all emerging markets, all fixed income focused. Wow, cool. Uh, so maybe for, for the folks at home there, uh, how do you classify emerging markets? Because there's frontier markets and there's first, second, third world stuff and the old terminology and, and that, sure. maybe some of the markets that you're in. Sure. So... <laughs> It's the short answer is it's fluid, but the, um, the reality is it's basically, we will focus on countries that are not developed markets. That's probably the best line. And, um, you know, the, uh, you know, when you look at MSCI, for example, on the, on the equity side, they have an MSCI, you know, MSCI emerging markets index. And 
the if I had to use a metric, that index is probably the best one. So, for example, Greece is in emerging markets now because it's in that in that bucket. Mm. Um, but but you know, core Europe and um, you know most of Mexico, but outside of Mexico, the rest of North America is obviously it falls out falls into the developed markets. Very cool. And then for what's the breakdown of that seven billion for the hedge fund, the long only fixed income, and then your 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 private uh, credit bucket that you have there? Sure, sure. Um, so yeah, so the the majority of the assets are in on the hedge fund side. Um, that's the oldest and the and the biggest strategy. Then the unconstrained long only business makes up the majority of the remaining, and then the private credit is is part of that as well. That remaining allocation. Oh, that's very cool. Uh, yeah, because you, you seem to have a lot of moving parts in that that private credit area. So, um, how would you differentiate maybe from what from what Jens is doing? Is it just the super size and the co investments, or is there some sort of uh, other flavor that you have in there? Sure. So, the, so the long only business is is a unconstrained long only business. So, I guess one way to think about it is rather than investing with a long only fixed income money manager who hugs the benchmark. The unconstrained business is unconstrained by the benchmark. Now it utilizes, you know, the same thought process and, and, and re- research that is the DNA of the firm, uh, but that business is not constrained by the benchmark. Now, in private land, in 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 my world, we are very much sort. Of, we are we are very much idiosyncratic. We just very much bottoms up. You know, we start. At transactions, we pick good transactions. We, you know, there there is portfolio construction, and as you want to be geographically diversified in the portfolio, and also and also asset diversified, and I'll get into that in a second. But it is very very bottoms up versus any kind of benchmark related uh, investing. Now, just very briefly, what does private mean in mm-hmm. private credit mean to us? And private credit is a very broad term, lots of definitions, none of them good. Um, for us, and you know, it, traditionally private credit, you ask most allocators, what is it? It's direct lending, and oftentimes direct lending to companies that are that that are invested through sponsors. So, in other words, private equity companies invest in a company, then private credit comes and provides leverage to that company. That is very much not what we do. In fact, we don't really do direct lending at all in the traditional sense of lending to a company. What and the reason for that is in emerging markets, it is our view that doesn't work that well, and it kind of gets to this primary risk of what what I'll call rule of law risk, or you know the bankruptcy risk, court risk. It's hard to foreclose on assets in emerging markets, so that's why we do it differently in, in our private credit business. We right. either invest in sovereign related receivables or kind of like structured finance. You know, traditional stocks for finance, where you own the collateral. So if if push comes to shove, I don't. We don't need to go to the courts. We don't have to rely on bankruptcy regimes. We own the collateral. It's ours. There's there is nothing to fight about. Yeah, that's very cool. Yeah, because it's. Uh, I haven't heard of like even before I met you guys. I hadn't really thought about EM sovereign credit. Like you're doing it as a fund. It would always seem like you would. Uh, I don't know. You just have you'd have a developed market, and you'd have you'd have EM, or do you have sovereigns or sovereigns? But you guys, are, it's interesting that you go directly into that one area. Uh, and but so, how about the benchmarks? How do 
how do investors look at you? Because you said, you know, even your your long only stuff doesn't really use benchmarks. How do they? What do they compare you to? Uh, how do they decide if you're any good? And how do they decide um, like where where you fit in their portfolio? A lot of questions there, but I know you can uh, you can answer them all. Yeah, sure, no problem. <laughs> um, so so you know, on the on the long only side, I think. The reality is, is that allocators will always look at that business versus a benchmark. Uh, you know, even though we are we 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 are unconstrained by it, they want to make sure the allocators want to make sure that we are doing better than the benchmarks that they could otherwise invest in. And a lot of the and, and a lot of the sort of like incentive packages that are structured there are still versus benchmarks, so a performance fee kind of concept. Uh, now on the private side, it's. You know, it's just like every other private debt, private equity money manager that effectively your benchmark is zero and, you know, and you are expected to outperform, you know, and, and moreover have a relatively high threshold because of the cost of illiquidity, right? I mean, in, in private mm -hmm. land, we're asking our allocators to invest with us over multiple years, not just over quarters. And, as a general philosophy, I, I view that the cost of emerging markets illiquid capital starts at 10%. So, so in other words, RF, the risk-free rate, in my opinion, in other words, if you took an emerging markets asset that actually had U.S. Treasury bills in it, that was the risk. Right. Because it says emerging markets and it is illiquid, it starts at 10% and then it goes up from, and then the, the cost of that capital kind of goes up from there is how I really think about it. Very cool. And one more uh, quickly, we'll get to Tara too, but uh, how about duration of, of your fund specifically in the private credit area? Is it like a year or so, or do you go out further with, uh, with these, uh, with these bonds? With this so yeah, we're talking about a two year invest and the sort of like a three year harvest cycle. So shorter than a lot of the private debt funds out there, but longer than a quarterly hedge fund. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. But, uh, and then in, within the within the product, like are these other loans that you're or the, the the name the reference names that you're in are they like two year paper or one year paper or, mm. or five year or is it? No. Yeah. It's somewhere in between. Let's call it three to four year. Typically amortizing. Right. You know. So twenty four oh, yeah. month, thirty six month weighted average life kind of stuff. Very cool. Yeah. Over to Tarek. Uh, how about like for your when you're uh, so now put the on the other foot here for when you're looking at managers like how do you uh how does your team look at uh various areas like whether it's credits or it's uh your your different types of hedge funds or uh you know equity managers how, how do you guys uh, what's kind of your main criteria for for doing your diligence and you know the follow-up to that obviously we're in COVID times how are you doing it now like is it more like steady as she goes keep investing or pencils down for the, like the last 10 months yeah, so no, I think it's a very good thing that you ask, uh, James. Um, in terms of the um, how we think about the world, I think it makes sense for us to talk about our investment philosophy. So just give you more context in terms of how we, you know, screen investments overall. So it's really mm -hmm. a top-down approach, uh, right? Uh, with 
with bottom-up, of course, as Marco is saying, finding these niche opportunities. So being nimble and opportunistic like, like last year. So we have a macro lens to identify, you know, market dislocations, inefficiencies we want to capture, and then finding the best partner to, to execute a certain strategy. On the other hand, also, mm-hmm. we also find niche and specialized managers. And we think Emzo is one of them, for, for example, in the emerging market space or so experts in their field who reach out to us given our credibility and reputation in the market that we like that we like those type of deals and they tend to be complex you know hard to access they're not for everybody and there's high barriers to entry so you may ask you know how do we do it right so we we look at the mm-hmm. portfolio in a holistic view overall right um, at a total portfolio level for example in uh, private markets, you know, there's no set target to any asset class, which really allows us to move opportunistically around assets and react to market opportunities and dislocations. So so what that means is we're not tied down and forced to invest in one asset class, right? So this structure allows us to exchange mm-hmm. ideas and collaborate a- among the team and really en- en- enables us to invest in the best ideas without this fixed target allocation. For example, if we're looking at Brazil and uh, we are looking what's the best way to get exposure in Brazil from a macro side, and then we go deeper, uh, what are the asset classes that are dislocated now? Is it in private equity? Is it in real estate? How is how is inflation there? How is the currency doing? Um, so so we really try to peel the onion and, and, and look at the best way to get that exposure. At the same time, the banks are also selling NPLs on the private debt side. There's a lot of loans uh, that is mm-hmm. happening. Uh, and we just want to make sure that the banks uh, will continue to sell those loans. So, so we thought about and we said the best way to get exposure is, for example, is to go in private debt, but also diversify with a litigation finance. So it just gives you an idea how we think about it um, overall. Um, in terms of the in terms of in terms of the opportunistic mindset that we have, uh, also to give you more context, and like post two thousand nine, when we inherited their Canada pension portfolio, we were looking at. Um, at real estate back then, right? If you remember the GFC, Mm -hmm. real estate assets were getting hammered. And then we just thought, what's the best way to get exposure there? So we were very contrarian at the time, right? When when we first invested in US deep value distressed. So debt was the best opportunity back then. You had huge discount, was a lot of uh, downside protection there. So we really uh, invested a lot of money, you know, making over 25% return. And then when things did calm down, right, in 2011 and 12, we just switched from real estate debt to equity because the debt market got mature. They're much, much more functional. Equity made sense to rotate and take the higher uh, higher risk at, at, at the time. And then we switched from US to Europe, for example, in 2013, fo- following Mario Draghi's mm. Whatever It Takes Pledge. So moving our commitments to European real estate and then Asia afterwards. So it's, it's nice to have, I think we're very fortunate to have the uh, mandate to uh, move around asset classes and geographies. I think that's a very big benefit for many investors. And we were fortunate to make the right calls historically overall. When it comes to your question about uh, how we did with this, you know, current COVID downturn, right? With this mindset and this philosophy, mm-hmm. we were very lucky to really react really quickly when March hit. So what happened is we really invested in public markets first because we saw the downturn spreads widening, equities going down. There was a lot of things to do, but we were also worried that things can get worse. So what we've done is allocated capital, uh, you know, tactically in distressed debt and in structured debt investments. We see that existing relationships that we have because we didn't want to do it with newer 
category managers at the time. So it was very fresh. Um, and uh, we were lucky that, you know, we captured some of that uh, re recovery. We wanted, of course, to, to deploy much more money, but we didn't have the chance, right? Everything came down very quick um, at that time. And mm -hmm. then we switched to private markets afterward. We thought the best way to continue to get that exposure is with a closed-end vehicle, right? So you can manage that vo volatility. And, and there was so much uncertainty left uh, last year. So, so that's how we, we did it overall. Well, it's very cool. You guys are very like nimble, globe-trotting uh, pension plan. <laughs> uh, a lot, of, a lot of shops like you know, and, and imagine you have you know all the all the risk measures and and um, and constraints and such too. Looking at the volatility of the different markets and how they correlate, but it just seems that uh, you know you've you've been kind of hitting on all all the cylinders here. Um, and so, how would you maybe compare yourselves to your your peers? Like, yeah, because I think like I say normally, um, or sometimes it's, it seems like. It's more of a more of a top down and and really uber diversify, but you guys seem to be taking some. I'm not sure how big the housing bet, bet was, but you know, um, some it seems to be a little bit more high conviction portfolio than, uh, than maybe some of your peers, or is it? May, or is uh, is that the case? Yeah, or? no, I think I think I think you hit it on the nail. It's it's a combination of both. So we look at breadth of ideas because diversification diversification is the best defense, right? Um, but at the same time, if it's high conviction, mm -hmm. we do size up our trades and investments overall. So uh, um, just to give you some context, what happened is uh, the, the biggest challenge for us, honestly, is investing with newer relationships, right? Uh, especially in emerging markets. Uh, so, for example, we know Emzo very well. We've, uh, we've uh, you know, we, we would like to extend that relationship to not just Emzo, expanding our relationship and scaling with Emzo, but also, for example, to uh, find other emerging market managers there that we can, you know, diversify mm. and tackle or that can complement what Emzo does in, 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 in those markets the the challenge is the due diligence right because you cannot travel anymore mm -hmm. so everything is done virtually uh but you know there's positive and negative points to that right the the positive point it's much more efficient right you can you can have so many people at one time right conferences now you can have hundreds of people just you know listening to you at one time yeah. which is crazy we found that actually <laughs> yeah we got we got we had like twice as many investors at our conferences because they didn't have to fly to toronto montreal for three days they could just log on three hours a day, which is great. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's the same thing for us, right? When we book a day or a full day to meet a, to meet the uh, manager, for example, uh, it, it usually takes like, you know, uh, three days traveling, right? Um, now we can do it in half a day or one day virtually. And you can meet so many other people, not just the senior folks, because it's so easy to access to these people. But, you know, on the negative side is you lose the personal and cultural aspect, which I, we think in this business is very important as, as well, because you need to evaluate the qualitative factors, right, as an organization. Like, what's the feel of the culture? Uh, I think that's mm -hmm. very, very important, especially for a newer relationship. So what we've done is really given mandates to existing relationships, relationships that we knew before that they visited us and we visited their offices. And then lastly, we've done with newer managers that we have never, uh, uh, you know, been on site. But of course, you know, there's certain oh, wow. mitigation factors to that. It's really having those frequent video calls, access to the broader team, right? You can have the junior access, not just the senior access level, and also making uh, reference calls. I, I'm, 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 I can laugh now, but yeah. Which you, which you should do it anyways, but yeah, it's more more important. Yeah, now. exactly. Like we we do it, but now we put so much emphasis towards it, right? It's just le to leverage our peers, right? Like other uh, Canadian pensions that we know are invested there, so we can take so mm. much value from that, right? And also consultants that can help to uh, to give us some comfort there that they've done the onsite before with those managers, so we get uh, comfortable overall with that. 
Very cool. How about for you, Marco? Like, do you guys, uh, like, you're obviously in the emerging markets. I had a call somebody in Mexico City and they said, yeah, before it would like, you could, and he was, he was introducing foreign funds into the Mexican investors. And he's like, yeah, you're lucky if you get four meetings because you got to get through traffic and everything. But they had an investor day that week or something and they had, they had, we had 12 meetings in a day just by Zoom, boom, boom, boom. And, uh, but you, you do miss that, that, uh, you know, that more personal component, which, which is I've traveled through EM, like it's, it's really important to know who's in front of you. And even just talking to people casually, you can get a lot of good information. So how do you guys mitigate that? Do you have people on the ground in these, uh, in these countries or do you have some other, uh, some other, uh, uh, process for that? Yeah. I mean, look, there's no doubt, you know, hanging up in the morning with a board meeting in India and then immediately switching to a board meeting in Nigeria and finishing the evening off with, with your, you know, investment in Brazil is fast. <laughs> That's, you know, yeah. three quarters around the world in a day. Um, but you know, it's, it's funny listening to what Tarek described about how he's doing due diligence on his managers. I really have to echo that's very similar to how I am focused. We are focusing on investing. So <clears throat> since we, since we do a lot of structured products and, you know, we work with servicers on the ground, it basically in most, in all the jurisdictions that we invest in, there's always an on the ground team that we have some kind of a contractual relationship with. And that is you know, first of all, it's rel- it's necessary for managing the investments we have, but it's also, in my opinion, the best way to source deals because you know you take Bogota, the financial services world in Bogota, Colombia is relatively small, right? And everybody kind of knows each other. So when there's a new deal popping up in Bogota, chances are our servicer knows about it long before it's made its way to New York or London, right? Mm-hmm. So. One, you know, you have these relationships in country in, in that, and you know, I'm on the phone with these people all the time. That's really how we're sourcing new deals, and you know, and it's and it's with these servicing relationships that we already have. How about something that's usually uh, usually brought up in these kind of calls about FTD fees, taxes, and domicile? So, how do you guys? Uh, how do you guys kind of structure it on the on the fee side and then domicile? Because you have investors imagine all over the world, then you have all these EM you know pieces of paper that's got to got to kind of amass in, on some sort of island or and or state. You know, structuring and tax structuring is a big part of the business, no doubt about it. Um, the reality is, you know, take um, take TCC, right? I mean, TCC mm-hmm. is a Canadian based manages Canadian pension plan. And the reality is Canada has a lot of very good double taxation treaties with a lot of countries on the, around the world. So what from, you know, from my business, it's much more effective to utilize, say the Canadian double taxation treaties rather than taking Canadian pension plan money and moving it to a Cayman fund, because then you, now you're in a now you're in a sometimes blacklisted country. Mm-hmm. So yeah. a, big, a big part of what I do is I look at the investor directly, where, where is the UBL, where is the ultimate beneficial owner? And mm-hmm. nine times out of 10, they're in, a, they're in a good country with good taxation treaties. And rather than interpose sort of like a Cayman vehicle, that, that's, just, that's, a, that's a bug, not a feature is the way that I think about it. So, so you know, Thinking through all this stuff, how the taxation treaties work is a big part of what I do, but recognizing that, you know, the ultimate owners of capital in the end are 
pension plans, sovereign wealth funds, and you know university and, and, and you know, foundations and endowments. That's where that's where the the very large institutional money comes from. And the reality is, a lot of those times, those are from you know developed market countries that have very good taxation treaties. So it's important to mm. keep that in mind and structure that way. Yeah, if I may, James, that's as well. Um... It's it's I totally agree with Marco. Like from our perspective as an investor, we just don't look at the strategy itself, right? Of course, we look at the return drivers, risk drivers, and do complete due deal on the strategy. But also on the structuring side, is there any factors that will reduce the potential return? Is there any added risk as well, right? And going to Marco's point, we think of domiciles and looking at the tax treaties as one, looking at capital controls in these emerging markets. Some some countries are not very friendly, right? Do they have the yeah. politics? Uh, yeah. can change but sometimes it's just noise and that's the arbitrage that we're trying to capture right there's like proceed versus uh you know potential arbitrage that we can take uh, uh to take a advantage of and, and also for a lot of the emerging market there's effects uh, uh, exchange impact as well on the return so is it beneficial how much is the cost is it better to do it onshore versus offshore so there's a lot of thinking behind the structuring and and, and I'm, I'm adding to marco's point it's very very important to do that part of your due deal as an investor especially when you invest in these uh you know uh emerging markets and these niche type of strategies overall yeah, you're right. There can really be some noise. When I was at ICICI, they always had this the dual taxation uh, treaty, and, and Mauritius was coming up every year. <laughs> and they're like, ah, they always renew it. And I'm like, really? Because it seems like it's a big deal. And they're like, yeah, okay. <laughs> so and they always did. <laughs> so you never really had to go to Cyprus or anything. So that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, and and that's that's the continuing tech, uh, continuing on that point. You know, there are always games you can play in the near term to, you know, follow basically the letter, but maybe not the spirit of the of the tax laws. And, you know, I view that as kind of like swimming against the river a little bit. Right. You know, that might work today. Maybe it works tomorrow. But if we're in this for the long haul, it, it's it's not a good position to be in, which is, again, you know, I get back to my point. The ultimate owners of a lot of this capital are in countries that have good treaties. So. Why take the money into bad countries? Just stay where it are, where stay yeah. where they are. Structure with that in mind. That oftentimes creates deeper partnerships between us, the kind of like the manager and the and the allocator, the owner of capital, which I view as a positive, not a negative. Right? It just means we're we're kind of working more closely with the allocators, and you know, having people like you know, ha- having teams like Tarek there that are extremely knowledgeable, fast. You know, think these things through is is is, is I think great for uh, great for us, but most importantly, great for you know TCCs, pension plan investors. Very cool. And then that one part with uh, the fees. I, I know you have like probably most favorite nations and all these kinds of structures, but you you have uh, you said it's like more like a five year fund, uh, and then uh, you guys have like the usual kind of thing like principal and uh, preferred yield, and then you have. Uh, catch up and all that kind of stuff or is there, is there any kind of bells and whistles in that that that's different i mean not real. it's quite simple yeah i mean you hit you hit that's it good. i mean yeah it, it, it's quite simple simple i'll chart you know i'll give you your money back i'll give you a, a decent return and then i'll start charging you a fee so but you know that it's not based on marks it's not based on future pr- promises right. and performance it's, it's yeah. cash and back in your account nice Cool. Unrealized, unrealized return. Yep. And how about that for you, Tarek? With uh, with your uh, 
like kind of the new relationship with folks like do you guys how do you how do you have the fee conversation with with the pension plans um and have that make sense for them or is it or is it free for the first year yeah. <laughs> you mean for our prospective clients or you mean on the manager side yeah it's yeah. Pers- on yeah, side. on the on the client side, we do have fees associated with these uh, funds that we just talked about before earlier. Um, of course, mm-hmm. um, I think uh, as we're starting out, uh, we are, we're very open minded. We're very LP friendly because we know how it is, right? In terms of fees, yeah. and uh, you know, they they tend to be very uh, competitive compared to other asset managers out there overall. But uh, if, if if I might touch base on mm-hmm. on on fees with external managers, something that you know we of course negotiate all the time and it's also the alignment of interest at the end of the day we have to make exactly. sure that we're both aligned and we want the, the the same source of outcome that you know from this particular investment or strategy and we want them to be happy we want us and our investors to be happy as well uh, and also one thing in private markets which is really important is valuation so valuation plays a key matrix in clipping fees for external managers right because you can inflate mm-hmm. those valuations you can you you know, uh, you just book them at cost and what's the reason behind that. So that's something we really focus on, right? How do you value uh, your assets? What's the methodology? Is it is it standard? Is it different? Um, you know, and, and try to come up with a comfortable, uh, you know, um, analysis on that and what type of valuation committee uh, do they have? Is it uh, discipline? Do they follow the same uh, pr- pr- process? Is it consistent? So, so all that comes into play when we evaluate this. That's very cool. And so when they uh, or clients or prospective clients, what's the setup? Is they, they they come to you and they they choose from the menu, like a self-directed kind of RSP thing, and they'll say, We want, you know, a million dollars into this fund and this 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 bucket and this bucket, or do you work with their actuaries and, and consultants and say, Okay, let's let's get the optimal uh, mix for you guys. How how hands on are you guys with that or what do you see it going? Yeah, so so I, I think at the end of the day we are um, you know uh, investors, right? So um, when the client comes in, you know, they can pick and choose exactly. We have six funds. Um, they can allocate what's the best for them. Uh, we would give them the profiles of the, of the funds, the track record, all the decks and everything. And you know, this is what actually has worked for the past 10 years for Air Canada. And that's how we got, you know, we were, you know, top quartile return in the past 10 years for Air Canada. And if you believe in us, you believe in our philosophy, mm-hmm. that's what that's what we can offer you. We don't do yet any customization, right? Uh, we, we, we uh, you know, it's uh, especially as an early stage company right now, we want to focus on our funds. We want to produce, uh, generate, you know, returns right. uh, for the funds. Uh, we can work with their consultants as well. If their consultants can evaluate and rate our funds, uh, we'll be ha- more than happy to, you know, partner with them and uh, and they would decide, uh, they can work with us uh, in terms of, you know, uh, what are the funds compromised of? What's the, what are the type of strategies um, and they can come up with, uh, you know, certain uh, proposed allocations for their investors. That's very cool. Makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah. What, what do you see going forward here, uh, Marco, focusing on EM, private credit? Uh, where, do you, where do you see, go? what's kind of something that we might see in 2021 that that uh, people might go, wow, that's a that's an amazing prediction. That's <laughs> <how you do. laughs> but, uh... <laughs> um, sure, I guess the right way to answer that is just to say more cowbell. Um, look, what we're what what 
we say about the emerging markets private credit world is that there's an enormous imbalance between the supply and the demand of capital, of credit. Um, and that structural imbalance is huge and there to stay for a long time. And that, mm. and so therefore, you know, from a, from an opportunity perspective, we're drinking from a fire hose. Um, and you know, it's, it's our job to pick, you know, pick what we think is good and leave what is bad, which again, gives us the luxury to do what I said earlier, for example, which is avoid the direct lending market completely because of some of the inherent flaws that we believe exist in that market. So, you know, and so that, that structural imbalance is not going away today. It's not going away tomorrow. And it also more or less doesn't matter what's going on in the macro world. That imbalance is just so big that, even if the macro is strong, it's there. If the macro is weak, like it was this year, uh, sorry, 2020 during COVID, you know, we typically don't charge invest, uh, charge our invest higher for our investments. What we do is we increase collateral packages. We just secure the downside even further. Um, but yeah, to summarize, you know, we're just going to be keep on keeping on be it, and trying to take advantage of that structural imbalance. Love it. How about for you, uh, Tarek? Obviously, you guys have gone through a bit of a metamorphosis the last while. So uh, what's in store for the newly newly minted uh, TransCanada credit? No, sure. So, uh, you know, from our side, uh, we've been very lucky, you know, with last year. And, uh, you know, given the uh, large allocations that we we, uh, committed and the the top of returns we generated, this year is... uh, is, you know the bar is higher, right? As as we see, uh, as as we say, so we see a lack of consensus overall in how assets are going to perform this year, which is a good for bureaucratization uh, of views, and that's what we really want, right? If there's more dispersion, there's there's going to be much more opportunities in the market, which which in our opinion really reinforces security selection in this environment, given the large you know uh, up market we saw last year. This year, it's really important uh, as an investor you know to be nimble uh to be opportunistic and be close with your managers you know i think we think it's really good to engage with them and and reposition the portfolio to capture the evolving investment opportunity and really act quickly overall and uh you know i think we will never get sick of having uh, countless video calls with our partners right and uh, and and just to make better informed uh, decisions and this is what really helped us last year and we think this year is going to be uh, the same as well Great. So more cowbell, more video calls, maybe more video calls with cowbell. <laughs> Thank you both. This has been great. And uh, yeah, we'll look forward to having, uh, having the both of you on another uh, podcast or webinar sometime soon. Thanks a lot, guys. Thank awesome. you for having Thank us. You.